We're going to talk about uh, Noah's Ark this morning. And as the song said, God did put a rainbow in the cloud. You know, Noah's Ark's again one of those favorite stories, right? A lot of a lot of families will decorate their children's nursery and the theme of Noah's Ark with all the animals and the rainbows and the beautiful pictures and all the beautiful colors. You see one up here on the screen where the beavers are giving Noah a little bit of a problem, but Noah's usually this older man, gray-haired, and it's about this awesome story of redemption for mankind and for animal kingdom, and everybody's saved on the ark, and it is a great story, and it's a lot of fun to tell our children. But as grown-up, mature Christians, there's a lot of things that are in that story that are important to us. And we want to talk about some of those this morning. You know, the tragedy of the whole thing is God killed a lot of people that day. He wiped the face of the earth clean of all the people except for eight and of all the animals except for a few. And so there has to be some pretty tragic reasons behind that, right, for God to go to those drastic measures. And I think there's some awesome stories that we can learn from that. Not to take anything away from the from the pretty pictures and all the color, but uh, there is a, there is some accountabilities that I think we can learn as Christians from that awesome story. So if you would turn, if you got some Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis. We're going to be around Genesis six through Genesis nine quite a bit this morning, talking about this story. And I'm going to do. Uh, I'm not really going to read the whole story. I'm just going to talk about some elements that happen in the story. I think we all know the story. We're going to talk about the water, we're going to talk about the ark, we're going to talk about some things like that and and learn from some of those things. We're going to talk about a little bit of history. So what's happened? You know, Genesis chapter 1, we have the scene of creation. God creates everything. And when He's done, He says, it's good. You know, with the work I've done is good. I've created all of this stuff. He creates man, he creates Adam, and Adam names all the animals, and He creates Eve as a helper in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 2, the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, and on through chapter 3, man does some stupid stuff. Adam and Eve sin against God. They turn away from God and they follow the serpent, and because of that, sin enters the world. And that happens in Genesis chapter 3. Mankind falls, and God curses Adam and curses Eve and curses the ground and curses the serpent. He's just throwing curses out there left and right to everybody that was involved in that first sin. And then in chapter 4, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, offer some sacrifices. And Abel offers up the the blood sacrifice, and Cain offers up a sacrifice from the land. And we know God's happy with Abel's sacrifice, and that makes Cain mad, and Cain kills Abel. And so we end up, and then uh, later on, another child is born, and that child is Seth. And so we have the Cainites, not the Canaanites, but the Canaanites and the Sethites are kind of the two groups of people that are living in this time. And so the genealogy starts uh, in chapter 5. We get a genealogy, so we get to learn about all of these different characters. And we're introduced to this character named Methuselah. Many of us know Methuselah if we've read our Bible or been around the, the, the church very much. Methuselah was the oldest man that we have a record of him having lived. And he lived 969 years old. He lived nearly a millennia, if you can imagine that. He lived 10 times longer than, than we live today. 
Nearly a thousand years he lived. It's amazing to me. Well, he has a son. His son is named Lamech. And Lamech fathers Noah. Lamech is 182 years old when he has Noah and he lives to be 777 years old. So Methuselah is Noah's great-grandfather. So the oldest man that ever lived is Noah's great-grandfather. Noah has some children. When he's 500 years old, he has three kids, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we can go deeper into Genesis and some of the other books and we can look back at the flood and we can learn that it's probably about a three-year, four-year span, starting when he's about 500 years old, that he has these three kids. And I don't remember which one's the oldest, but we can figure all of that out from some of the later genealogies. So Noah, uh, his name means rest or relief. And Lamech talking says he called his name Noah saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. We also know from Second Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we're trying to understand some of the characters that are in the story this morning and why, what, uh, what they might have been like. And so we know Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. So the story unfolds uh, in history this way. It's about 1,656 years since Adam. That's when the flood happens. So through the genealogies, the Jewish genealogies, we can, we can figure that out because we know how old all these people were and we know when they had the kids and all of that. So 1,656 years after Adam was created, we have this flood that happens. And that was about 4,362 years ago from today, looking back. That's rough. That's rough, again, relying a lot on Jewish genealogy to go back and figure that out. But that's what most of the people agree on that are New Earth creationist views. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start reading there. Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that they, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they have bear, and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in, at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and the beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So that's the first few verses there in chapter 6. And as I understand it, when it's talking about men there, it's talking about the Cainites. Again, not the Canaanites, but the Canaanites. And when it's talking about the sons of God there, it's talking about Seth's family. And so these two families began to intermarry. 
And we know Cain's family typically had been the evil side of the family, and Seth's family had typically been the good side of the family, according to the, to the people that I've read and the stuff that I've studied. And then when these two families began to intermarry, when the men started looking at the daughters, the evil won out. Evil won out over good, and the thoughts of men's hearts became evil continually. And God got, uh, God got upset with that. And he said, I think the verse there, uh, we'll talk about that verse about the 120 years here in a little bit, but he got upset with man and he got upset with the fact that, uh, that they were living this uh, ungodly life. And he says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to send a flood. I'm going to destroy them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's a lot of songs about that, or there's at least one song about Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that changes the story. So these families diverge at first, so they kind of go away, but then they kind of come back together and they start intermingling and marrying. And um, that's when the evil creeps into all of the world and the wickedness and the world. And and God says that the the thoughts of their heart are evil continually in in verse number 5. And He says He's going to destroy them in verse number 7. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord in verse number 8. So Noah's uh, this man of righteousness, again, this preacher of righteousness trying to convert the world. He's got, uh, and he finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the construction of the ark, again, rather than reading all of this, I just thought I'd throw up some stuff. It was made of gopher wood, and there's, uh, again, arguments over whether gopher wood was a, a, a region of the country and go get wood from this area, or whether gopher wood was an actual name of a tree, a type of wood, or whether gopher wood was a way to prepare the wood. I don't know. It was made of gopher wood. That's all I know. And it had different rooms in it, or apartments. It was pitched without and within, so there was some type of pitch to keep the water out, to make it waterproof, and it was done both inside and outside. It was 300 by 500 by 30 cubits. And again, there's arguments here. The standard cubit was 18 inches from the tip of the finger to the elbow, but the Egyptian cubit was about 20 inches. So this is 18, a cubit. So the cubit ranged in different historical times from about 18 inches to nearly 21 inches. So depending on what that measurement is, that's that makes some pretty big differences on the arc. But if we use the standard 18-inch cubit, the arc was about 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet long. So that's a football field and a half long. So if you've ever played football or been to a football game, that's a big boat. In fact, it's the biggest boat that's that's all wood that historically it's right there with the biggest boat that's ever been made by anybody. And this happened many, many years before uh, modern abilities to build boats. So some 450 foot long it had a window or windows. According to the Bible, it had three decks. So there was three different levels that these apartments and rooms were built on inside the ark. It had a door in the side for everybody to come into the boat. And then there's some discussion over construction duration. Some people think that that verse that we read in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3 where it mentions 120 years is how long it took to build the ark. I don't think that's what it's talking about there. Because later on it tells us two things. It says that Noah was 500 years old when he had his sons. He was, he was 600 years old when the ark, when the floods came. So there's 100 years there. But in the instructions to build the ark, it says that you and your wife Noah are going to go and your three sons and their three wives 
are going to go into the boat. So it seems like when the instructions came to build the boat, that not only had Noah had three kids, but they were old enough to be married. So from 500, so let's say they get married at 20, 25-ish years old. So I'm saying that the ark took at least, no, no more than 75 years to build. And there's, there's people that say anywhere from 100 to 50 years, and I wouldn't argue with any of that. It really is not that important. But it's uh, if uh, if they were about twenty or twenty five years old when they got married, then uh, and that's when the decree came down to build the ark. And Noah was six hundred years when the earth flooded. Then it's uh, somewhere in the seventy to seventy five year range to build the ark, which is a long time to be working on one project. I build some pretty big stuff in sixteen to eighteen months in my business today. I can only imagine building something for seventy five years. That is a replica of an ark built in, uh, uh, a Dutchman built it, so I don't know if that's in Holland or exactly where the boat is. They're building a replica in the United States in Kentucky, about 45 miles from the Creationist Museum. So we'll have a life-size replica in the United States of uh, the ark. I don't know if they're going to use the short cubit or the long cubit, so I don't know the exact dimensions of the of the ark that they're going to build, but they're supposedly going to build a replica in the U.S. in Kentucky. Passengers, well, we have Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, Japheth and their wives. We have two of every <clears throat> every creeping thing, every bird, every animal. So a male and a female of everything. And then we have seven pairs of the clean animals. So if the animal was considered a clean animal, there were seven pairs that went into the ark. So two of everything at least. If it was a clean animal, seven pairs. So quite a few animals are going into the ark. It says after their kind. So again, there's some, there's some discussion over, you know, was there just one dog? And then that, you know, after the, after the flood, the different breeds of dogs and the different species, you know, there was just one dog kind. And then there was, there's a lot of discussion over exactly what went into the ark. And I'm not an expert to be able to tell you the answers to all of that. I'm, I'm not that type of scientist. There was food for them, and there was food for uh, the animals. And all of those animals uh, went into the ark. The waters came, and the first of all, the waters uh, the waters came from the uh, fountains of the deep, came bu- bursting through. So from down below, water came up. And from up above, water came down. So water came from two different directions. Again, a lot of scientists and geologists believe that this is where we began to get the tectonic plates. This is where continental shift happened. This is where mountains were formed. This is where a lot of that type of stuff started happening was at the flood. Again, I'm not a geologist. I'm not any of those people. I'm just telling you what some people think. I do know that the fountains of the deep came bursting through. That's what I can have faith in. The heavens opened up for 40 days and for 40 nights. There were waters that prevailed and greatly increased. So there was a time that that water just kept coming. It kept coming up. It kept coming down. 40 days, 40 nights kept coming up. Water kept rising. And then all the hills and all the mountains were covered. And water prevailed over the entire earth for 150 days. That's a long time to be covered by water. And again, if you're some of the geologists and some of the arg- that's that's the argument for how fossils get to the top of mountains, is that those fossils were carried by the floodwaters of the floods that covered the entire earth for this 150 days. There's a lot of arguments against that. I'm just telling you some of the stuff that's out there. 
<clears throat> then there's the exit. After the, uh, after the waters begin to recede, the first thing that happens is the ark comes to rest on, on uh, Mount Ararat. After it comes to rest, he releases a raven that goes to and forth, the Bible says. It doesn't come back inside. I'm guessing it's just kind of flying back and forth, trying to find land. Maybe lands on the ark for rest. The dove he sends out, it comes back, and it comes back in the ark. Then seven days later, he sends another dove out. And that dove comes back with a uh, olive branch. And uh, olive branches typically have represented peace. In fact, on our dollar bill, right, the eagle's got olive branches in one hand and uh, arrows in the other talon, not hand, the other talon representing peace through strength. That if you've got, that if we're strong in, in our ability to, uh, in war and in might, that will, that that's how that we have peace. That's on our dollar bill. Seven days later, the dove goes out and it does not come back. And so at that point, the, uh, they exit the ark after being in some, in the ark over a year, some 370 to 380 days. It's a long time to be cooped up with a bunch of animals. 380 days they've been in the ark. An amazing story. In the end, all the breathing animals were destroyed. All the air-breathing animals were destroyed except those that were on the ark. All of mankind except those that were on the ark. All the birds, all the cattle. And only survive, the only survivors were those that were on the ark. So things change. This, this whole flood changes a lot of things. One of the things that I think possibly it changed, I'll just say possibly, because again, there's some discussions and debates over this, is that the curse that had been put on the earth when Adam sinned was relieved by Noah. And I'll tell you why they say that. First of all, in, in, um, if I get this to work, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 17, if you read that, it talks about the curse that was put on the ground because of the sin that um, Adam had committed. And so Adam commits this sin, brings sin into the world, and because of that sin, God curses the ground and talks about thorns and thistles and all of that kind of stuff. We read what Noah meant, right? Lamech gave Noah his name and said that that meant that relief from the cursed ground well, then later on, when in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 21, when Noah has come off of the ark and has created the uh, sacrifices, and the incense are rising up to, to the Lord, the Lord smells those sacrifices and says, He's pleased, and it says, I will no longer curse the ground. So some people believe that the ground that had been cursed when Adam created the first sin, that that curse has now been relieved through Noah. That's what Noah's name meant. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on this. Other people believe that that's taking away from Christ and His power on the cross and, him, and what He did for us on the cross. So I'm just telling you, there's two different viewpoints out there. A lot more study from my perspective before I would come down hard on one side or the other. But this does seem to flow with Noah's name and what happened at the altar. Um, but there's some play on some Hebrew words there that you know might cause for pause. The other thing that changed is the age of men. Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse number 6 says that he's no longer going to strive with man for these long millenniums, that, the, uh, that there's going to be this 120-year cap put on men. 
and we see that very very quickly happens from uh, Adam. I mean, from uh, from Noah when they're living 800, 900, 700 years. The next generation only lives about 500 years. The next generation only a couple hundred years, and four generations later, and from that point on, man has only lived to be about a maximum of 120 years old. And so because of all the sin that was in the world and because of everything that was going on, God said, I'm not going to deal with mankind as long as I have been. I'm going to cut their their age and I'm going to cut the duration. And I think that's what they're talking about in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3. Again, debatable, but I, that's what I think. So those things change. So let's talk about 10 things we can learn real fast. Let me see how long I've been going. About 18 minutes. Alright, so there's the ten things at least that I think we can learn from uh, the ark. Number one, the, the, uh, don't, don't miss the boat. Right? I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? You've been given an opportunity to come into the ark of safety here. You've been given an opportunity through Jesus Christ to enter Jesus. And Jesus is our ark. He's our safety. You've been given that opportunity. There's the joke out there, and I'm sure you've all heard it, about the man. It's flooding, and he's sitting on his front porch, and a guy comes by in a canoe and says, Hey, man, hop in. He goes, No, the Lord will provide. A few minutes later, a few hours later, he's up on the carport, and a guy comes by in a rowboat. And he says, Hey, man, jump in. He goes, No, the Lord will provide. A couple hours later, he's on the roof, and the helicopter comes by, and, and the guy goes, Hey, come in. No, the Lord will provide. And he drowns, and he goes before the Lord. Y'all have all heard this, right? Some of you are smiling already. And he goes before the Lord, and the Lord sa- and he says to the Lord, Lord, I thought you were going to provide. It says that you will provide, that you'll protect, you'll take care of me. He said, man, I sent you a canoe, and I sent you a motorboat, and I sent you a helicopter. What else do you want me to do? The Lord has provided an ark of safety for us. He's provided Jesus Christ. And if we don't take that, if we don't see that opportunity and we don't take it and we miss the boat, it's not going to be a good end for us. The second thing, we're all in the same boat. As a group of Christians that have come into the ark of safety, we're in this together. And we need to recognize that. We need to love each other and to fellowship with each other and to help each other and to recognize the needs of each other. That's the reason for the shepherd's prayer that Brother Matt led this morning. That's the reason for all of the fellowships that we put together is so that we can learn about each other and we can learn how to help each other and treat each other. We're all in this thing together. Plan ahead. Um... So if Noah had started building the boat when it started raining, none of us would be here, right? Because the world would have ended with Noah and his family getting drowned as well because it took quite a big, quite a long time to build the boat. So plan ahead. Um, I don't know. I'm no judge. Don't plan to be one. Don't want to be one. I don't know how the Lord's going to deal with deathbed confessions. He's given us an opportunity to get in the boat. So plan ahead, get in the boat, become a Christian, get started on your walk with Christ. <clears throat> Be ready, stay spiritually fit. So Noah was 500 years old when the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and said, build me a boat that's a football field and a half long. You don't know when the Lord's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, I need you to go talk to so and so. Or somebody's going to walk up to you and ask you a question that in an effect is Jesus giving you an opportunity to convert that person or help them with their Christian walk. 
So be ready. Be spiritually fit. Spend some time in the Word. Know what God expects of you and plans for you. Be ready when those opportunities present themselves. Don't listen to critics. If Noah had listened to the critics of the day, right, he wouldn't have built the boat. There are a lot of folks out there that are going to criticize, well, why are you going to church every Sunday? Why do you got to do this? Why do you got to do that? Why are you studying the Word? Don't listen to the critics. Be strong. Have faith in the unseen things of God. This one's important. In fact, the Bible talks about this in reference to Noah in Hebrews. In the, in the faith chapter, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. We have not seen heaven. We've not seen hell. But we've been divinely warned. Jesus warned us as the Son of God about those things. He divinely warned us, be prepared. Have faith in those things, that they're there. Speed isn't everything. So it's, uh, you know, we're told to run the race, and we are running the race. But you can get burned out. You know, the snail was on the ark just like the cheetah. So it's not about speed all the time, right? Both Both of them made it. But it is important to be steady and consistent about your walk with the Lord. Don't be uh, running and stopping and running and stopping. Um, When you're stressed, float a while. (laughs) Noah got to float for over a year, right? After the stress of building the boat and getting all the animals on the boat. I know Sheila, during the summertime, when she's stressed from work, she'll get on the floaty and just go out in the pool and float for a while and think and introspect and meditate. Think about it. Read uh, read uh, some uh, psalms or read some stuff in Proverbs or read about Jesus in the Gospels or read about His church in Acts. Think about, meditate, float for a while when you're stressed out. The ark was built by amateurs. The Titanic was built by professionals. So what do I mean by that? Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie um, God is Not Dead. We watched that uh, a couple of weekends ago. I don't agree with everything in the movie, but I do like some of the stuff in the movie. But the premise is that there's a professor there in this college... And the professor says on the first day of class, hey, we can move on to some higher learning and some higher thinking if I can get each one of you just to agree on one fact. And that fact is that God is dead. So if you would, each one of you on a piece of paper, write down God is dead and pass it to the center and we'll pick that up. And if I can get everybody to agree on that premise, then we can move on to some higher thinking and some higher learning. And we'll have an opportunity in this class to really get into some cool stuff. And there's one kid in there that won't do it, right? And he said, God is not dead. And so the professor's all upset with the kid, and he's like, man, now we've got to spend all this time, and I've got to spend all this time proving that God's dead because you won't accept that premise, and that's going to keep us from really getting on to some higher learning. And half of the class is upset about that, but the kid has an opportunity and challenges the teacher to give me some time and we'll vote on this after I've had some time in front of the class. And he he basically, I'm not going to tell you the movie because you might want to go see it. But um, that's what I'm talking about here. 
The Titanic was built by professionals. There's a lot of highly educated, highly learned, philosophically minded scholars out there that will tell you a lot of stuff. The Bible's not that hard to understand. What you need to know to be saved, what what God expects from you is not that hard to understand. Watch out for the professionals. Read it for yourself. Learn what the Bible has for you. Number 10, no matter what the storm, with God there's always a rainbow. And uh, we sang about that right this morning. God put a rainbow in the cloud. He made a promise at the end of that that He wasn't going to destroy the world anymore with water. And God tells us, no, no different than the joke, right? That I'm going to send away, I'm going to make a way of escape for you. I'm going to take care of you on this while you're here. And I'm going to take care of you for sure in the end. That doesn't mean that everything is going to be what we want on this earth, right? That doesn't mean that all of us are going to be rich and that all of us are going to be successful and all of us are never going to get injured and all of our family is going to live forever and nobody's ever going to have cancer and no children are ever going to die. It doesn't mean all of those things. What it means is in the end, there's going to be a rainbow in the sky. There's going to be, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a glorious resurrection and we're all going to go to be with Him in heaven and that's going to be an awesome ending to this storm of life. There's one warning, and I'll close with this, that that I want to make you aware of, and that happens over in the book of Luke. Jesus' return is going to surprise just like the flood did in those days. In Luke, in chapter um, 17, it says... And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they are given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So put yourself in those days, right? In the days of the flood. It says, just like in those days, they were eating, they were drinking, they were having parties, they were marrying, giving in marriage. They were going through the daily things of life and all of a sudden, drop, drop, thunder. What's this? It's rain. Uh-oh. There's this guy Noah building a boat. wonder what that's all about. Right? And the floods come from underground and the world starts going crazy and there's no hope for them. Just like they were surprised, there's going to be people surprised when the Son of Man returns. It's going to be just like that. Jesus is going to come back and it's going to surprise a lot of people. So the question is, are you firmly inside the ark of safety? Are you inside of Jesus Christ? Have you done what He asked you to do? No different than Noah. Noah said, He said, Noah, you found grace in my eyes. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go build a boat to the saving of you and your house. And Noah went and built the boat. No different than that today. He said, here's my son. It's a free gift. You found grace in my eyes. I need you to do some stuff. I need you to repent. I need you to turn away from that world. I need you to confess my son. And I need you to be buried in baptism. Just like that. Just like Noah, we've got things that we've got to do to accept this salvation, this free gift that he's given us. To get inside the ark of safety, we've got to build it for ourselves. Just like that. If you're inside the ark of safety, but you've been kind of sitting on the sideline watching everybody else feed the animals and clean the cages, 
and you need some help, you want some strength, you need to get re-energized, and you think the prayers of the church might help you with that, we'd be willing to do that for you as well this morning as you come while we stand and sing.